If you have your Bibles, then go ahead and grab them. Uh, We are going to be in the book of Mark this morning. We're going to be taking a break from our uh, current series in Hebrews and are going to be looking at a wonderful passage in the book of Mark, be chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. Uh, If this is your first time here with us this morning, uh, then let me say welcome to North Roanoke Baptist Church. We are thrilled that you are here with us. We are committed as a church to knowing and loving God. That is our commitment, and one way we display that love is through a commitment to His Word, which is the Bible. And we show our commitment to the Bible through preaching through whole books of the Bible, straight through. And our current series is in the book of Hebrews, but we're going to be taking a break from that and considering an interesting story in Mark chapter 8. And what we have in this passage is a story that, if we're honest, when we read it, it confuses us. And it confuses us because it seems to be saying something that we, as followers of Christ, are not willing to admit, not willing to state. Namely, that Jesus seemingly lacked the power to accomplish a miracle the first time through. So we, we squirm at the idea that Jesus isn't able to accomplish something that he seemingly wants to do. And because it is difficult... It's not often preached. Though I thank God that we we worship in a church that is committed to preaching through whole books of the Bible and in fact has preached through the book of Mark recently, so has had this passage preached before. But that then begs the question, why this text? Why this text? Why would we interrupt a, a fantastic series in another book in order to have one sermon on one isolated story? And it's because this story that we're going to look at today gives us a a clear illustration of the realities that we've been dealing with in Hebrews. Jesus provides for us in Mark chapter 8 a living parable that is crucial for us to understand lest we become like those in Hebrews who have fallen away, proving themselves to never have been believers in the first place. So what we're going to see in this story is our Lord, our Lord doing exactly what is needed in order to teach his disciples, and by extension us, today, exactly what we need to hear. There is no failing on his part. There is no falling short in Jesus. There is a beautiful lesson here given for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. And I pray that this morning... That would be us. So hopefully by now you are in Mark chapter 8. Again, verses 22 through 26. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I I see men, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again 
and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. I heard a sermon uh, a while back in which the preacher was, was preaching on John chapter 11. And if you're familiar with that section, it is the death of Lazarus. And in John chapter 11, Jesus is speaking to Martha, the sister of Lazarus, uh, Lazarus outside of his grave. And, and he tells her, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he makes an interesting statement. He asks a question. He asks her, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And the, the preacher pointed out how appropriate this question is for the believer any time the Bible is read, whether it's at, at home or in church, and especially during the preaching of the Word, is do you believe this? Do you believe the Word of God? As Christians, our answer needs to be heartfelt, yes, we too. We believe your Word, and this is the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together as your people. And I pray that as we move into a different, different session of, of worship, as we've worshipped you through, through singing and through giving and through fellowshipping with one another, that through the preaching of your word, we would worship. Or that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a mind to understand. Spirit, that you would move through your word that you wrote, that you authored, lift high the sun. We ask and pray in his name. Amen. So we pick up this story, this section, right as Jesus is getting out of the boat. So he had just, he just fed the 4,000 with seven loaves of bread. He immediately gets into the boat and they go across the sea and they arrive at Bethsaida. And that's where we, that's where we pick up the story. And as he's coming in, some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. Now I want to pause there for a second. These are the types of friends that we need to be. This is what loving your neighbor looks like. These people had a friend that was blind. They knew that they could never heal the man. They knew that they could not open his eyes, but they knew who could. And so they brought him to Jesus. Church, this is a lifestyle that we are supposed to display in our lives. We will not, you will not have the answer to every single difficulty that your friends or family are going through, but we know where to take them. You may not know what it's like to, to struggle with an aging mother that is going through dementia and is wasting away. You may not have the words to say to someone who's, who's struggling because their, their, their child that they love so dearly that they took to church faithfully has abandoned Christianity and went their own way as soon as they got out of the house. You may have no experience with having a, a debilitating depression that, that is just a struggle to get out of bed in the morning. 
but we know where to take them. We know where to take them. Our culture will say, go to, go to therapy, go to medication, get the next self-help book, but none of these things will be able to finally and fully bring peace and healing. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can redeem. Only Jesus can heal. Only Jesus can save. Only Jesus. We know nothing of these people. We know them only by their actions. They loved the blind man. So they took him to Jesus. We do not even even know their names. And that's okay. We must be content within ourselves to be no-named individuals who simply brought the ones in need to the feet of Jesus. May that be our testimony in eternity, in glory. I brought those in need to the feet of Jesus. God help us to be people that do that. Verse 23. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. So Jesus, Jesus takes the blind man by the hand. No longer are his friends the one that are guiding him. Right? As a blind man, he has to be led everywhere. Instead of his friends, now he's being led by the hand by the good shepherd himself who leads his sheep exactly where they need to go. Jesus takes him by the hand. And he leads him out of the village. Now, why, why would he do this? Why would he take him out of the village that he had just walked into? Was it to avoid the eyes of a watching crowd who were, who were looking for more of a show than they really cared about the healing of the man? Probably. However, it's also because he wants the man to have an opportunity to focus solely on Christ. Being surrounded by a crowd, having a crowd pushing in on you in which everybody has their own opinion, everybody thinks this is the way we should go, would prove to be a terrible way for this man to focus on Jesus. And so our Lord alleviates this entire situation by taking him out of the village, getting him away from the crowds. We live in a world that is plagued by distractions. We thrive on distractions. It is everywhere. We cannot read a book. We cannot work on an assignment for school or for our job without stopping every 10 minutes, every 15 minutes to check Facebook, to check Instagram, to check Twitter. We can't even watch a television show. We can't even watch a movie at our house without having our phone so close in hand just in case that slow part comes on, you have something to distract you from it. We often wonder, why am I not growing? Why am I not maturing in Christ? But the answer is likely because you're distracted. If we cannot finish our, our 10-minute Bible reading without stopping to check your phone, you are too distracted. We need to evaluate our lives based upon our priorities. What is your top priority? If you say it, it's loving 
knowing, worshiping, obeying Jesus, then maybe you need to take the example of Jesus and eliminate some of these distractions. Maybe it's time to delete social media. Maybe it's time to cancel your Netflix subscription or cable. Right? These aren't bad things, but if they are keeping you from Christ, they need to go. We need to get away from all the noise so that we can focus on Christ. So he takes him out of the village. It says, and when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Now this is weird, right? This is pretty weird. Why in the world would Jesus spit on the man's eyes? Right, there's, there's a mention of Jesus using spit in Mark chapter 7, verse 33, and there are traditions in which healers used saliva. But there are also plenty of times in the gospel where, where Jesus will lay his hands and heal somebody. He'll speak a word, right? And a miracle will take place. So why in the world did he spit on the man's eyes? Ultimately, we have no idea. <laughs> Other than the fact that this is what Jesus chose to do in that moment. And if Jesus chose to do it, no other explanation needed is the right thing to do in this instance. Interestingly, though, Jesus didn't ask him a question. This is the only time in which Jesus asks a question to the recipient in the middle of a miracle. This is the only time. Do you see anything? And this allows the man to play a part in the miracle that's taking place. But, more importantly, it allows the disciples to hear and to, to tune in to what is going on. It allows them the opportunity to pay attention to what Jesus is doing in this moment. If you're taking notes, jot that down because we're going to come back to that. That's important later on. So do you see anything? And so the man looks up. Right? He opens his eyes and he can see. Kind of. He can see but not clearly. He says that he, he sees people, and that's a good sign. He sees people, but they look like trees walking. Okay, that's not so good a sign. That's not so good. We learn from this, though, that the man was not born blind. All right, so, so he recognizes this is what people are supposed to look like. This is what trees are supposed to look like. All right, trees don't walk around, people walk around. So he recognizes this isn't quite right. So the miracle has taken place. He can see, but not completely. The man has been healed, but not fully. The man sees, but not clearly. And so what in the world is going on? The disciples are confused. The, the people are confused. After all, Jesus has, has healed others. He's cast out demons. Why, why is this man not healed completely? Has Jesus failed? Was he unable to heal the man completely, and so he just did all he could? The man sees, but it's not quite there yet. Or is there something else going on? 
There's something else going on. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. So the disciples are confused. The people are confused. But Jesus is not. Jesus is not caught off guard by this situation, right? He's not taken back. He's not apologizing, oh, I'm sorry. He simply lays his hands on the man again and heals him completely. And in fact, so total was the healing that Mark writes it in three separate times in this one verse. He opened his eyes as opposed to to looking up. So he looked up in the first instance, but now he opens his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. No longer does he see people as if they are trees walking, but everything is clear. He has been healed completely. And Jesus then sends him home, sends him back home, but he tells him to not enter the village. That's interesting. Jesus does not want the crowds to hear about this immediately. See, the crowds have this wrong picture of who the Messiah is, on what the Messiah came to do. And Jesus felt no need, no obligation whatsoever to fulfill their false presumptions. None whatsoever. Jesus came to live a sinless life. He came to die and be raised as a payment for sin, to reconcile sinners back to God. And nothing was going to detract from this mission. No crowds, no one. Therefore, Jesus wants the man to keep quiet about this initially. However, much like Jesus bringing the man out of the village in order to eliminate distractions, Jesus sends him back into the village in a way to eliminate distractions. He wants the man to to praise God, to to meditate upon what God had just done for him, and that's not going to happen if he is immediately met by a large crowd pressing in on him. So go home. Don't even enter the village Jesus is giving him an opportunity. Get your priorities correct. Have them ordered correctly. So we, we finish this, this story. This is the end of our story. Then we must go back to the, to the question that's, that's been bothering us. Did Jesus fail? Why did this miracle take two stages? That's the question. No other miracle in the, gospel, in the Gospels were performed in this way. This one took two tries. But our basis, our foundation, is this truth that we have to remember. Jesus is truly God. Therefore, he possessed the power to heal the man initially if he so desired. He didn't lack any power. Jesus did not fail But the key in that statement was if he so desired. Jesus had different intentions in healing the man than the disciples immediately thought, than the people around him thought. 
and that we initially think. He performed this miracle purposefully, intentionally, in two stages. One lesson I, I've learned in, in seminary, which has proved helpful again and again, is this. When you're reading the Bible, and especially in the Gospels, especially in narrative stories, always ask the question, why is this story here? Why is this story here? Because the biblical authors and the divine author, God himself, had intentions in the ordering of the Gospels. They didn't just throw together a collection of stories and events and say, figure it out. There's an order. There is a purpose behind why everything is in the place that it is. And so we, we ask the question, what would be missing if this story wasn't here? What would be missing in the overall flow of the, of the gospel, in this case Mark, if this story was not present? And we see this by looking at what comes before and what comes after. By seeing the context, we can see why this story is here. And so immediately before our story, Jesus is with the disciples. He feeds the 4,000. Right, he gets into a boat. We know, we know this because when he gets out of the boat is when our story takes place. But while they are in the boat, we read this. This is verse 14 of Mark chapter 8. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. So they immediately leave the feeding of the 4,000, only have one loaf of bread with them in the boat. They head over and they start bickering with one another. We only have one loaf. We only have one loaf. And Jesus, Jesus gives them a warning. He cautions them. He says, beware. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. And so their immediate reaction is what? He's talking about bread. Leaven is in bread, and so, oh my goodness, he's mad. We don't have enough bread. In verse 17, we read this, And Jesus, aware of this, he's aware of their conversations, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? And listen to this, verse 18. Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? When I broke, and do you not remember, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many, how many basketfuls of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, twelve. And the seven for the 4,000? How many basketfuls of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. They said to them, do you not yet understand? Do you see the question that Jesus is asking the disciples? Do you have eyes but do not see? You just watched me multiply seven loaves of bread and feed 4,000 plus people. Do you really think I'm concerned with the fact that we only have one loaf of bread? Do you think this is my concern at the moment? No. 
It's as if the disciples can see, but not clearly. It's as if the disciples are the blind man. They are healed. They see. They've watched Jesus perform this spectacular miracle, but they don't understand who he is. They see Jesus as if he's a tree walking. So this miracle that immediately follows takes place as an illustration, as a living parable of the condition of the disciples. I think that's, that's why Jesus asks the question to the blind man so that they can tune in. I'm talking about you guys. Jesus did not fail. He gave the question so the disciples could see themselves, their own condition in the blind man being healed. They did not see Christ clearly. But what happens immediately after our story? Verse 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples... Who do people say that I am? Familiar question for us. And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged, and he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. So Peter confesses Christ in this moment. They were blind. Has the, has the bell finally gone off for them? Ding, ding, ding. You finally got it right. You understand who this is. Peter, you finally got one right. right they see clearly. But do they? But do they? Verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So Peter, who we, we thought finally, finally gets it, proves to be the blind man. He proves to be the blind man who does not see clearly. Because if he had understood fully the implications of the confession that he had just made, he would not have dared to take Jesus aside and rebuke him. If he would have understood what is meant in the confession, you are the Christ, then his response would have been, yes, sir, I will be with you the entire time. And so the blind man who is, who is healed in two stages is a, is a parable for us to see of the disciples in general and Peter in particular who would see, but not clearly. 
And they would not see clearly until Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Jesus did not fail. He sought to teach them a lesson. And he gave us a living illustration that it is possible to see, but not clearly. And is this not what Hebrews has been teaching us for the past couple weeks? That there are many who hear the word of God preached week in and week out, who have tasted in the heavenly gifts and then yet will reject Christ. That it's possible to see, but not clearly. How many of us in this room are still in the first stage of the healing? How many would, would not along to the Bible and, and all that it claims? We raise our hand in worship when the emotion hits just right. But when Jesus demands something of you, you, like Peter, try to take him aside and rebuke him. That's not right. So we're comfortable following Jesus as long as it's convenient for us. We see, but not clearly. And God's been working in this church. I believe some of you came here and were, were hoping to hear a message that is not this. <laughs> that you've white-knuckled the past two weeks and God is giving you another opportunity. Don't leave here seeing blurry. See clearly that to mature in Christ is to see rightly. It is a dangerous place to be in the first stage of the healing. It's a dangerous place to be. And so God is, is giving you an opportunity this morning. Some of you don't know Christ at all. You are the blind man at the beginning. And today is your opportunity to see Christ sinless substitute in our place who died and rose again to bring us back to God. Others of you see Christ, but you don't understand. We have an insufficient understanding of what it means to have Jesus as our Lord. By confessing that He is the Christ, that He is our Lord, means that He has the final say. And what we do with our lives, with our time, with our money, with our possessions. That he has the final say. Do our priorities, do the way we spend our time and our money line up with our confession that he is the Christ? Or are we like Peter? Who confesses Christ and then quickly, really it's called Satan, right? Get behind me, Satan. We cannot be content to have blurry vision. Christ is willing and able to open the eyes of the blind today. Come taste and see that the Lord is good. Come see the King in His beauty. Come be reconciled to your God. Jesus is willing and able to save and to heal. And we will not grow. You will not grow in maturity 
walking in Christ, if you are content to see with blurry vision. So I pray that God would give us eyes to see, that we might see clearly, that we might see Christ and leave transformed because of it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for who you are. And I pray, Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of, of the blind. Some people in here don't know that they're blind. We are content to be Christians when it's convenient. That's not Christianity. That's not the confession. to help us to, to see clearly, Father, that there's somebody in here that has been white-knuckling the past couple weeks and hoping to hear something else today, but you are giving them another chance to be mature in Christ, to repent, to turn back, and to live for you. And so, Lord, that's what, I, that's what I ask, that's what I pray, that's what I beg that you would do this morning for the glory of Christ and for our eternal good. And it's in his beautiful name that I pray.